So you guys may not know, know this about me, and I know it's really hard to tell this just based upon looking at me, but I am actually a very pasty white human. <laughs> so whenever I step out into the sun for, you know, 10 minutes, I will come back a lobster. And the beauty about being human is you have a very short memory. So you make the same mistake over and over and over again. And one such time where I did this was while I was having fun in spring break with my friends. Uh, one of my friends lived in the Tampa Bay area, so we went down there and we were going to a beach down there and he advised that I also put sunscreen on my feet. And I was like, what? Who does that? Like, I haven't heard of anybody do that. And this is great coming from the guy who whenever he doesn't have shoes or socks on still looks like he has white socks on. So in my infinite wisdom, I was like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I put sunscreen on my arms and legs like a normal human, but feet, like who does that? And let me tell you, I paid for it hard. I got something called sun poisoning, which I didn't even know was a thing until that moment. And to spare you the details, uh, my feet were, we'll just say very swollen <laughs> and uh, some layers of skin were coming off and it was not good. And in that moment, I was like, man, I really wish I would have listened to the sound counsel of my friend. But we, we don't do that very much as humans, do we? We have a hard time listening to the wise advice of other people because we think we know the best. I remember at a church I was at previous, we were in a small group and actually one of the leaders of the church was in that small group too. And we were talking about how to grow in wisdom. And what he said, the best way to grow in wisdom is to learn from your experiences. And I paused for a second and I was like, is that the best way to grow in wisdom? Like it's super memorable, right? You don't wanna repeat the same mistakes you've made, but is that the best? Isn't it better to learn from the mistakes of other people so you don't make them yourself? And whenever I said that, he looked at me like I was speaking a different language. <laughs> We, we don't like taking advice from people. We don't like listening to sound counsel of other people. And part of why I believe that is, is a lot of people have never had those relationships in their life, have never had that mentoring figure that has spoken truth into their life, that has been a good example of how to live a life. In fact, there was a study done in 2021 that suggested that 12% of Americans don't have real friends, a single real friend. I mean, we're not talking about like share all of your details with, right? This is a single person to go out with on a somewhat regular basis or to talk to somewhat regular. 12% of people don't have that person. Also, another study was done, and this was done for about 14,000 children, but 40% of US children lack strong emotional bonds with their parents. 40%. Can you imagine what that does whenever people don't have that strong emotional bond? That does not help set kids up for success, right? That might make it a lot harder to trust somebody else, to have an authority figure speak into their life. It's going to make you perhaps be way more reliant on your own self, right? And I'm sure many of you have been burned by trusting other people. 
Maybe you've been burned by sharing confidential information and that gets let out and other people start knowing it. Or maybe you've been burned because you did take the advice of somebody and it ended up being very terrible for your life. There's a lot of different ways that we could have had some trust burned with people and make it be like, I'm not trusting anybody besides myself. And what makes it worse is oftentimes that has come from other church people or, or pastors, right? All of this can make it really hard to trust other people. So how can we as a church do something about this deep isolation that people feel and this deep mistrust and the lack of strong relationships in this world? If you would, turn with me to Acts 18. That's where we're going to be. We're going through a series on the book of Acts called Church on Fire. And we're looking at how spirit-empowered people of God took the good news of Jesus and spread it to the world. And in Acts 18, we're first introduced to this spiritual power couple that is Priscilla and Aquila. So these two met up with Paul because they had the same craft of being tent makers. And they started a lifelong friendship and co-working in Christ together in this time frame. And in Romans 16, we even see at one point Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul. So there was a deep friendship. Uh, Aquila, he was a Jewish man, and his name, it literally means eagle. So that's kind of sick. And also Priscilla, she had a Roman name, and it's not really sure if she was a Roman citizen or a Jewish citizen. There's some debate on that, but... Uh, her name literally means ancient, so together they are ancient eagle, which, that's, that's pretty fun. I like that. But these two dedicated their lives to the ministry of Jesus, and they truly were pillars in the early church. And as Paul was doing kingdom work all over the place in Ephesus, we're going to pick up in verse 24 today with Priscilla and Aquila uh, being in Ephesus. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He has been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, only though he knew the baptism of John. So here we read a little bit about who Apollos was. He was a Jewish man as well, and he's named after a Greek god specifically, so that's an interesting dynamic, but he was a native of Alexandria. And that's, that's really important because Alexandria was a super academic city at the time. So also I think one of the most prominent ancient libraries is from Alexandria, if not the most prominent. Um, so he is really gifted as a debater. He's a great speaker. That word, actually the, the word that is talking about his ability um, being well-read or learned, that comes from the same root word as logos. So it's showing his ability to reason or speak, he'd be a wordsmith sort of thing. That's going to come up in a second later. But it says that he only knew of John's baptism. And we see in scripture several places where this happens. But in this place it's a little bit different because it, see, it seems to be that Apollos already believes in Jesus. And it says that he had great fervor. Literally in Greek what that means is he was boiling in spirit. So there's some debate about whether that's Holy Spirit or his own spirit or what, but to some degree, the Holy Spirit is working very clearly in his life to be able to speak about Jesus accurately. So in verse 26, it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Priscilla and Aquila, and normally Priscilla is always listed before Aquila in the order of things in scripture. And a lot of people believe that's because she had a higher status than Aquila at the time. And uh, some scholars believe that she was even more instrumental in teaching Apollos in this setting than Aquila was. But nonetheless, they saw this raw gifting and passion of this man and realized that he needed some more coaching. So you're familiar with, you know, the whole launch of Apollo 13, right? Thinking about a rocket. I think metaphorically, Apollos was kind of like a rocket in their eyes. Not really because they don't know what a rocket is in that time frame, but they saw this raw power in gifting. And he was speaking about Jesus accurately, but whenever they invited him over, into their house and showed him hospitality. And we don't know how long that was. Don't know if that was a week or a few hours or what. But they spent time helping him understand Jesus more fully, more accurately than he already knew. So if you think about a launch pad, he may have been a few degrees off and through their intentional mentorship and discipleship, maybe course corrected just that right amount to slingshot him out for the the kingdom of God. And we know that Apollos had a a big following, which we'll get to in a second. Um, But in 1 Corinthians 3, it said a lot of people ended up following Apollos. He was was that gifted of a speaker, that much of a leader, that people wanted to follow behind him. And we're going to read in verse 27, it says, When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived... He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So the intentional mentorship of Priscilla and Aquila, also the whole church that surrounded him and helped him shoot out of a cannon for Jesus, basically, catalyzed him for what he was about to do. I imagine that they had to feel at least a little level of joy and fulfillment, knowing that they had a little part to play in God's work in Apollos' life, being the great force for the kingdom that he was. I imagine it had to warm their heart a little bit to see what he was doing for Jesus in his life. And one of the prevailing theories of uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews, which this is a big debate point, Um, nobody has any idea really who wrote the book of Hebrews, But a lot of people believe it was Apollos because he was a very well-spoken, learned person. And if you don't know, Hebrews is one of the hardest books to read in Greek. It's super eloquent, wordsmith, just amazing. Um, Also, Priscilla is another prevailing theory for that one too. But but because of their mentorship in Apollos' life, it launched him for the kingdom of God. And this leads to the main point this morning, and that is spiritual mentoring bears fruit that outlives your life. Think about this for a second. Let's think about the family tree of Christianity. So Jesus started it, right? He pours in a lot of time and energy and effort, a lot of investment into his apostles and his disciples. And they pour a lot of energy and investment in their disciples and so on and so on and so on until now we are a part of this massive family tree of God. And if you think about this, who we are as people, we are the sum of the people who have poured into our lives. We are the 
accumulation of all those wise words, all those intentional acts of kindness and love. That is who we are. And this morning, I'll be honest, I feel an immense sense of gratitude because I stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants who have come before me. And a lot of these relationships in my life have happened organically. A lot of them have been ones I've intentionally sought out because I knew that they had something that I wanted. I think about my parents. I know I would not be, clearly I would not be here without them, but more than that, their love for Jesus, their heart for God was so evident in the way that they lived their lives that that has been passed on to me. I think about really early on that there was a man named Steve Cunningham, whenever I was, especially in middle school, how much he was so kind to us and showed me what it looks like to live like Jesus. I think about there is a lady in my church named Mary John Huffines who was one of the most encouraging presences for me in one of the darkest points in my life. I think about my, my home preacher, Stephen Lord. I mean, he helped me wrestle through so many hard questions and helped me discern my call to go into ministry. I think about Devin Warrington, who basically served as my youth minister growing up. I can't tell you the impact that he has had on my life and how much, to this day, he still checks in on me. <laughs> I think about my time at Harding, both undergrad and grad school, all the professors that have poured into me and my experience there, but especially Monty and Beth Cox. I mean, they are, they have changed my life. They did me and Abby's premarital counseling. I spent a lot of time in his office just drilling him with questions. I think about whenever I was preaching at this little tiny farm church in Arkansas and how kind everybody was there. And there is a blind man who recently passed away the last couple of years. His name's Bobby. And every single Sunday, even Sundays I knew I did terribly. <laughs> like I was so bad. He would come up to me and encourage me and speak so much life into me. I think about my time with Jonathan Stormont and how much he poured into my life. And I know I would not be who I am today without his presence, I, he taught me so much about this position and preaching and leadership and all this stuff. I think about the missionaries I lived with in Mozambique, Alan and Rachel Howe, Chad and Amy Westerholm. They have radically shifted my life for the kingdom and showed me that God is way bigger than the box that I put him in. And I also think about my in-laws, Darren and Becca Smith. I have the best in-laws on the planet. I've, I firmly believe that. They are like another set of parents to me and show me Jesus so evidently with the way that they live their lives. And most importantly, my wife. I, I would not be who I am without her. Not in like a codependent way, but, but, in a, but in a, she has helped me see Jesus by the way that she lives her life and has helped refine me. She hasn't put up with my nonsense and she has helped me um, continue to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And the truth is, so many of you guys are already on that list for me too. And so many more of you, to stronger degrees, will be the case as years come along. And, and I say all this because I feel so fortunate that I have had so many great mentors and people who have poured into me and invested into my life. Who, who I am today 
would not be who I am today without them. And the thing is, all those names that I just said, I'm sure most of you have no idea who they are. But really you do. Because their words, who they are, lives on through me. And how, how much is that true for all of these people that we don't know, right? That have poured into our lives and invested in us. God has been so kind for him to put the right people in my path at the right time. And how they have poured into me and how they've poured into other people in their lives is going to outlive their life. And we can have that impact too, church. We can have a legacy that truly outlives our life. We can be a spiritual father or mother to someone in the faith. We can be that with people who are older than us too, because this is primarily about spiritual maturity. We can pour into, we can coach, we can share Jesus with people in a way, to use the words of scripture, that bears fruit and multiplies. That through my actions, through my life, the family tree of God can get bigger and stronger. And it's truly an amazing opportunity and an honor to continue to build off of the foundation and the work of Jesus and the apostles and all of the saints that we don't even know and all of their lives and the way that they have poured into other people that have affected us. We get to help cultivate a new humanity with God. And there's a lot of different ways we can do this. And first, I think very simply, praying for God to reveal someone in your life in which you can have this sort of relationship with. That's step one. <laughs> I know that's, that's helped me. I know that's worked for Abby. She's created some great relationships through that. And really, it can start simply, just a simple, hey, do you want to get coffee? And then leave the door open and saying, hey, if you, if you want to get together every so often and just talk about life, I'd, I'd love to be here for you. Anything that you need. I mean, think about whenever you were younger. Whenever you first had kids and you're like, what do I do with this? And you're trying to navigate a marriage and you're trying to navigate your job and, and all of this together, how much would you have wanted an older person to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm available if you ever want to talk about anything. I imagine a lot of people would take you up on that. And you know what? They may say no, and that's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, I can promise you that there is somebody in this world today that is needing your help that would long for a mentor, someone that is just a, a trustworthy voice of truth in their life. We want our church to be one that cares about discipleship, that cares about following Jesus and looking like Jesus. So as Nancy said this morning, so that the outside world can look at us and be like, oh, those are Christians. <laughs> that they can say that about our lives because it's so evident. And we're gonna have a lot of opportunities to grow in discipleship together and we're going to share about more that we have coming up with that in terms of small groups here soon. But even right now as a church, there's some really low-hanging fruit. In our youth, in our children's ministry, not only do we have the church of the present, but we also have the church of the future. And you heard me mention people in my church that have profoundly shaped my life whenever I was in those most formative years, right? And you get the opportunity to help with that help shape that. We've been having a lot of baptisms lately, and praise God, that is amazing. 
That's what we want to see, right? The more the merrier. But at the same time, baptism is not the end goal. It's the starting point, right? These people, these individuals who are getting baptized need good mentors of Jesus to walk alongside them and show them the way of Christ. This doesn't just start and then end. It's like, all right, we did it, we're good. They need intentional mentorship. Another way that we need help right now is through volunteers. We need intergenerational relationships pouring into our kids. And there are varying commitment levels to this. So if time is a thing you're concerned about, you shouldn't be. <laughs> because you can do it to where it's not a huge time commitment. And if you're afraid of missing the service, guess what? We have a stream. And you can play it all back so you won't miss anything. And if you're scared of um, locking yourself in for life, the more volunteers we have, the less of a commitment that will be. <laughs> but do not miss this opportunity to help shape and coach our younger people to live in step with the Lord. I've heard many people lament over the state of our younger generations, so scared about what they're doing, but yet at the same time are not investing any time into the relationships with younger people to try to help encourage them to keep walking in the way of Jesus. So this is a very easy way to demonstrate I do care about the future of the church, to, to volunteer in some way. And we need to give our young parents a break because they're oftentimes the ones who are volunteering and some of them love it and that's great and they can keep doing that. But at the same time, it's nice to be an adult <laughs> every now and then. So we can give them a break on Sundays and Wednesdays. We need your help. And yes, we still have background checks and there's training, so it's not like we're just letting anybody and everybody come in and, and do this. But we think that intergenerational relationships are so crucial for the development of the future of the church. So on the screen here for a little while, and it'll also be up at the end of service, there's a QR code where you can scan it. And it doesn't mean if you fill this form out, it doesn't mean you're committed for life or anything. This is just a general interest level of being able to help out with our youth and children's programs. And um, there's also physical sign-up sheets, I believe, that will be on that back island in the lobby. So if you're interested in, in helping pour into this next generation and having that legacy impact, those are going to be available for you. And this opportunity is important because someday people are going to say what I did about you and how you invested in their life and how much gratitude they feel that you showed them the way of Jesus. You know in the same chapter where Paul mentions that he planted seeds and Apollos watered it and Apollos had a big following, all that, 1 Corinthians 3, that same chapter, we read this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day or the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I actually think this section of scripture is some of the most beautiful in all the Bible. I really believe that. Because one day, our work 
is going to be exposed for what it is. And all of the really good and powerful and times that you have poured in love to somebody else's life, that you've lived your life for Jesus, the times whenever we ask the question, is this even worth it? Is me living this way even making an impact at all? Your good works, the stuff that you build for eternity is going to be evident. You are going to know how much of an impact that your life actually had. And it's going to be so beautiful. The opportunity to see, oh wow, I didn't realize that my words in this moment actually helped alter the trajectory of this person's life. Or that time I went over to their house and was just sitting with them through that really hard, tragic time, that actually made a difference that changed that person's life. You're going to be able to experience that. Think about that deep gut level joy and fulfillment that you see. But at the same time, this is a sobering warning. That if you're living your life, if you are building your life and your legacy just for your own name, or to live comfortably, or to have financial security, that stuff's going to get burned up. And you'll still be saved, but just barely escaping the flames. I don't know about you guys, but church, I want to live a life that outlives my life. I want to live a life that leaves a kingdom legacy that whenever we get to that point in heaven, when we get to this massive reunion of saints, that the work that I have done with my life is something that is holding strong and not something that burns away. So let's start living for that now. Let's live a life that matters. Let's live a life that outlives our life. So this morning, I want to encourage you guys, reach out to a mentor. Reach out to someone that has poured into you and just say thank you. Tell them thank you. Let's bring heaven to earth right now. Let's not wait till that moment. Let's express gratitude for those who have poured into us right now. Also, I challenge you to volunteer, help out with our, our kids program. Again, cannot stress enough how important intergenerational relationship is. Also, just tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, you want to get coffee? Just talk about life with them. See what happens. It could spark a spiritual friendship. It could spark a spiritual mentorship for the rest of your life. Who knows? But do something. And I advise any of you this morning, if you feel like you don't have a good mentor, if you feel like you don't have anybody that is that voice of reason or that, that counsel in your life, please ask. Ask someone, find someone. I cannot stress to you how much my life is different because I have sought those things out. And if you don't know of anybody to ask, come talk to me. I'd love to point you to someone that I'm like, oh yeah, they would be great. So do not go through this life alone because church, we need each other. We need each other to get through this life. We need to be that Acts 2 community that has everything in common and is leaning on each other to get through it. So if you have anything this morning that um, you would need prayers for, if you have something that's really hard going on in your life, if there's something that you want to celebrate, we're going to have people lined up around the room to be there to pray for you and help you with whatever you're going on, whatever's going on in your life. And if you would like to give Jesus a baptism, we got four today. And again, hey, we can just keep it going all day. <laughs> um, so if, if, we, you know, if we just did this till the lights went out, I would be happy. But, uh, but that is also available too if you are interested in being baptized this morning. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for laying a good foundation. We thank you for showing us the way of mentorship and discipleship and and loving people who then go and love people. I pray that you help us to be a church that bears fruit and multiplies and not just slowly dies out. Lord, I pray that you ignite a fire in us to care about your future church, to help make the family tree of God get bigger and stronger through our lives. And Lord, grant us wisdom. Give us the ability to seek out that that wise counsel, to seek out those mentorships and those relationships that are helping us uh, be refined into your image and likeness. Lord, I pray that we be a church that looks like you, that lives like you, that acts like you, that cares about the things that you care about. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts, prick our hearts, help us see the areas that we're not giving over to you. And Lord, help us seek to continue to be transformed into your image. May your spirit continue that work in us and help us take that and pass it on to the next generation. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.